Um, hey, if you've got your Bibles, um, please, if you could open them at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. We're going to start at verse 16 in a few moments. That's Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse um, 16. So it's great to be here this morning. Um, just to remind uh, a couple of you, we've got a new Christmas um, theme series coming up called uh, A Christmas Story, An Invitation to be Inspired. Um, so I've um, just been thinking through how much last few weeks have been about the big picture of how church is and, and what God is doing and what God thinks about church. And what we want to look at over the December period is more just being inspired and talking about things that are more for us as individuals. So we're going to look at that. So um, I'm going to flick through this because we've got a little bit late today. So I'm going to um, fly through a little bit of the, the sermon, if you guys don't mind. We're going to look at um, discipleship this morning. So um, for some of you who, uh, who may know me, what I do is I lead an organization that works around the world training young people uh, to reach young people. So we've, um, we're on 13 different nations on, on uh, six different continents training young people. We've probably trained around about two to 3,000 young people now full-time in mission, discipleship, and study. Many of them give a year out. And I am privileged because every day on my Facebook timeline, I see stories from pays around the world, uh, young people giving their lives to Jesus, uh, young people um, going on mission. Last year, we took 1,000 young people on mission, like Becca said, in England, uh, 1,500 people uh, in America, which was kind of cool. Um, but one of the questions I ask, uh, and I've asked a long time, uh, and I finally got an answer last year, was, uh, why did God make me below average? So this is a question I've had on my mind for a long time. So I'm below average academically. I'm below average athletically. Um, I'm below average in science. I can't, um, in fact, most of you went um, to school, and when you did an art project, they probably gave you a number, didn't they, like 7 out of 10? I would get things like, what is this question mark? I was really, really poor. And I have issues with my learning, so I have a kind of form of dyslexia. Um, Joel was diagnosed, and I think I've got the same thing. So I struggle to put things in order. So, um, for instance, Lord's Prayer, I could probably bring things out. Even if you've been a Christian for 30 years, I could bring things out from Lord's Prayer that you probably didn't know. Um, but if you ask me to say in order, because the way my brain works, it would be difficult for me to repeat it in order which is strange. And sometimes that backfires and sometimes it works for you. So many years ago, I was in a school in England uh, doing an assembly. And after the assembly, the, the, uh, the principal was so excited that they said, this is in England, you can't do it here. They said, Paul, I wonder if you could lead us through the Lord's Prayer. And I thought, I wonder if I can do it as well. I'm not sure. So I, I panicked because I thought, if I say it out of order, it's going to confuse things. So I came up with a little plan. I thought, if I say it slower, and, and I say it just slightly delayed, they'll have to say the line before me. So I'm thinking, okay, I know the first line is our father. And then I'm, so I'm going, our father. And all the kids went, our father. And next line is, who are you? And, who at it? And they went, but as, they, as I got slower, they got slower. So it's like getting awkward. So then what I decided to do was I thought, if I get quieter, then they won't hear me. And so I got quieter. But as I got quieter, they got quieter. So all of us, that me and 200 young people got slower and quieter. And it was a complete train wreck. It was just awkward. And it finished. And it was just like, awkward. I looked at them. They looked at me. And we all had that question. 
what just happened. And then this is what happened. The, the head teachers, we call them, or the, the principal, came from the back, started to clap. And he started to cry. And he's walking out, and he's like, that was amazing. That was amazing. Paul, the, may, the way you made us think about every single word that we said, that was incredible. I'm like, well, that's just the way I roll, you know? That's just me. And sometimes God turns your disadvantages into his advantages. And um, I, I was trying to ask the question, why did God make me so below average? Because I really am. And I've got friends who are in England who are really good at stuff. So they're very charismatic. They're just naturally really good leaders. They're great at stuff, just naturally, just like they have this innate gift. But they're all my age now, late 20s, early 30s. No, but they're all my age now. That was rude laughing at that. But they're all my age now, and they're kind of um, asking the question, what's my legacy going to be? Because they're really struggling to figure out how to pass on something they're just so naturally good at to other people. And I figured this out, because on page we just have a lot of normal people, and I realized that God made me below average to help average people do above average things. So anything I, I do, I've had to learn to do, and I can teach other people to do. And I, I, I believe that God put me in the position I'm in when I'm training people, and he purposely gave me very little natural talent because it's easy for other people to do what I do. It, it's pretty easy. to I, I can train. We can have templates for everything. And it's a kind of form of discipleship. So how do you change the world where you start with an idea, but starting with an idea and ending up with the same idea are two different things. You might be a parent and you want to teach your child a life lesson. You can teach that idea, but whether they adopt it is completely different. Uh, you can be a business leader and you can have some core values and you can train people in your core, core values, whether your customers know their core values at the end and, and experience them, completely different thing. You can be a pastor, you can be a church leader and share kingdom principles, but whether the congregation lives them out, different thing. So an idea can change the world, but what really changes the world is the delivery mechanism. And in Jesus' mind, that was discipleship. He had these amazing ideas, and the way he would transfer those ideas was not a big screen or a big event. It was you and me. And so this is what he says in Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to read it together. Matthew 28, starting at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to ask you a, a, a strange question today. When I came to Texas and I was working with churches, um, if you imagine we all have a competency number. So comp I can't even say the word. That's my, my little thing competency. So we're out of 10, we're seven at something, five at something, six at something. Imagine we're all um, five at something. So in a church I was working, when we would talk about hiring staff, the idea was uh, we'll get a five and they can do a five's job. Uh, and sometimes the idea was, well, if we get a five gradually with a bit of experience, they may improve and be a six and that would be great. It seems to me Jesus' plan was different. Because when you look at the kind of people that Jesus recruited, 
Most of them were pretty average, if not below average. Some of them were, dis- were, um, were fishermen because they didn't make the grade to be a disciple. Some of them were tax collectors. Some of them were not the, the people you would most look up to. Um, but it seems that Jesus took these average people and then realized that, you know, if you add someone to them who's a little bit further on, they can, they can produce something beyond what they expected. And so that's discipleship. Discipleship is coming alongside people and adding to their life what God has done in your life. And it excites me because everyone can do this. Every one of us can be a disciple. Every one of us can help other people. So I want to talk about the experience of discipleship and ask the question, what's your discipleship number? What is the added value you give to someone else when you come alongside them? What is it you bring to someone else's life? So let's talk about this idea of experience. What was discipleship like in the days of Jesus? So uh, I'm going to show you a picture of when Lynn and I, the foxy Lynn and I, got married. You can guess the decade, okay? Uh, We got married in the 80s, yes, we got married in the 80s. Now, uh, Lynn and I are from very, very different backgrounds. Um, Lynn's from an all-female-dominated background. I'm from an all-male-dominated background. So Lynn, um, she went to, she's got a a mum. And three sisters. She had three sisters. Her dad left um, when, they, when they were much younger. Uh, in their house, it was always really, really hot because they always were always too cold. The heating was on even in summer. It was bedlam. It was loud. There was joking. It was fun. It was a kind of very liberal environment. It was craziness. I came from a male-dominated family. So when I was at school, I went to a school where the boys and girls were separate in the different playgrounds. And then when I got to um, 12 years old, I went to an all-boys school. There was me, my dad, my brother, and my mum, who was not a girly, girly uh, kind of a woman when, when she was alive. And um, in our house, it was always cold. And my dad hates me telling the story. But sometimes when we go back in February, he, he won't have the heating on. He'll be sat there in his ski suit saving money. And uh, we had a very, very calm, very calm environment. There was no drama. Do you know, I never heard my mum or my dad arguing my entire life. It was a completely calm, subdued, conservative environment. So one day, I said to Lynn, hey, Lynn, will you marry me? And she said, yes. What happened was, I said to Lynn, Lynn, will you do this for the rest of our lives? And Lynn said, you know what, Paul? I'd love to do this for the rest of our lives. And we agreed to two completely different things. Now, that was 30 years ago, nearly. And, and those clouds, those thinking bubbles have kind of already almost merged almost entirely. And we're almost on the same page on almost everything now. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said to people, will you go and make disciples? And 2,000 years later, we're all here going, yeah, we'll make disciples. And we've agreed to something completely different from what Jesus was talking about. So what was in Jesus' thought bubble 2,000 years ago? One of the best ways of understanding that is by looking at the history and context of discipleship 2,000 years ago. So I'm going to read you some of the guidelines or laws about discipleship from 2,000 years ago. Some of these, you'll see Jesus say them, but I'm going to read from the um, Jewish law Okay, from the missioner. Let me just read a couple of things because it might be a little bit surprising. Ask yourself the question, how is this different from what we think of discipleship today? So um, 
Uh, disciples were seen as sons or children. Uh, the words ba banner. Uh, your father brings you into the world, but your rabbi brings you into the world to come. There's another one. If a man's father and rabbi are both taken captive, a disciple should ransom his rabbi first. Another one. If his father and rabbi are carrying heavy burdens, he removes first that of his master and afterwards that of his father. If a disciple went into exile, the command was that the rabbi should go with the, his disciple. It was an incredibly close relationship. Um, one that I find particularly fascinating says this, All acts a slave performs for his master, a disciple performs for his rabbi, except the untying of the sandal. Now, for any of you who know the Bible, does that remind you of anything? It reminds me of when John said, I'm not worthy even to untie Jesus' sandal. I used to think that was some random statement that Jesus made, but actually he's referring to this. The one thing, the one thing a disciple doesn't have to do for the master, I'm not even worthy to do that. And so many of these things were about going on a journey together. Um, the Mishnah says that discipleship was a painful existence because you would go with a rabbi and you were so keen to learn what the rabbi could teach you that you gave back by service. So you would do all sorts of stuff. You would go ahead um, preparing a room and then you would sleep in the worst place and the rabbi would sleep in the best place. And that's what Jesus, in Jesus' mind, it was all about going on a journey together. It was about taking someone on an experience and educating them along the way. And every one of us can do that. You and I have experiences of God or talents that we can teach other people. Every one of us. And the, the sad thing is that we've, we've turned disciple into something else. We've turned disciple into education. We've, we've turned disciple into education. And now we have what is, in my mind, an oxymoron, and discipleship classes. Uh, I'm going to educate you in a class. And what we mean now is just simply education. Because I don't know how to do it. I'm going to tell you what we should both be doing. But actually, discipleship is, I know a little bit about this. Let me take you and show you what I do. And along the way, we'll do this together. And one of the problems with turning education, turning discipleship into purely education is a lot of us don't know how to do stuff that we should be able to do by now. Because no one's really shown us how to do it. They've just told us what to do. Does that make sense? I can see a lot of you nodding as I'm saying that. There are things that, some of us, we've been Christians a while, and we're still not sure how to do some pretty basic stuff because nobody ever showed us how to do it. In fact, this week I was listening, to, I, think, I don't know if I heard this on the radio, and someone was saying that um, one of like the Home Depots in Britain says, one of the problems we've got now with a DIY store, you call it hit DIY, you know what I mean by DIY? Do it yourself. He says, is people come in and they don't want a DIY store, they want a do-it-for-me store. Because people don't know how to do it themselves. They need someone to do it for them. And, and in some ways, I think in Christianity, we've got the same situation. We, we want to pay a pastor to do the job. We'll tithe. We'll do our offerings. You do the job. And the pastor's, that's great. Give me the money. I'll do it for you. Actually, I'll just tell you what to do. And we're asking the question, what does it look like, actually, to really understand discipleship the way that Jesus understood discipleship. And I think there are three things just for us to think about as we think about this. First of all, we need to go beyond education 
to experience. In other words, we need to take people on an experience. There's a difference between a travel agent and a tour guide. So in England, we have travel agent stores. Maybe you used to have them here before the internet. And you would go in, and there'd be lots of pictures everywhere of, of wonderful places in Spain or somewhere. And they always used to put this, like, coconut kind of smell in there to make you feel like you're on holiday. It was kind of weird. We had a place called Lumpoli, and they used to pipe in this. I, sometimes I'd just, I went to the shop, I'd just walk in for a couple of minutes. I'm on holiday, and I'd walk out again. You could smell it, you know? And then they would say to, hey, they would open up like a book, and they'd say, here's, here's, Here's Paris. You should go to Paris. I've heard it's amazing. Let's read these things about Paris together. You should go there. That's a travel agent. A tour guide says, I've been to Paris. I'm going to Paris. Do you want to come to Paris with me? I'll show you around. That's a, tra uh, a tour guide. That's also discipleship. And we've exchanged tour guides for travel agents. And every one of us can be a tour guide because every one of us has some experiences even if you're a brand new Christian. In fact, the day after you became a Christian, you at least knew how to become a Christian. And you, had, you, had, you were one step further than someone else. And I've got different, if I was to disciple someone, there might be certain things I could help them and show them. Uh, if, if Bob or Kerry or Mark or Becky or Lynn or some, it would be different things. What's your thing? What's your discipleship number? What's the way in which you can come alongside someone else and move them forward just a little bit. Let me just say one more thing about this. Is uh, Many years ago, when we first came to uh, America, there were a lot of young people bored out of their brains on a Wednesday night. And the reason they were bored out of their brains on a Wednesday night is young people need a challenge. And what was happening on a Wednesday night was we had all these different units, and, and depending on where they were from different parts of the city, they would go to the north, south, east, west unit, and they'd sit there, and somebody would do the travel agent thing, this is what the Bible says about worship. This is what the Bible says about mission. This is what the Bible says about wherever it was. You should do that. We should do this together. We should, we, we should all be better at this. So what we did was we knocked that on the head, and we decided we're going to do something different. So we said, you can sign up to go with one of our leaders, our volunteers, to an apartment block or somewhere else, and you can watch them use their gift to advance the kingdom of God. So some people signed up to go with the guy who could cook, and they went to an apartment block, they, they cooked food, and then they gave out food, and they prayed for the young people, and they talked to the young people about their faith. Some did it with sports, some did it with all sorts of things. One of my favorites was Mike. What Mike did was he, had, he felt he had a real passion and gift of prayer. So we went to an apartment block every, every Wednesday night, and we leafleted the apartment block and said, hey, if you would like to pray, come to this room in the apartment block. The manager of the apartments gave us a room, for half an hour, and we'll pray for you, whatever the prayer request is. So people would come down, and the young people would go with Mike, and the young people would pray for people. Sometimes people would be nice, some people would be nasty, some people would feel like God healed them, some people felt that nothing happened at all. What happened was all the young people started asking questions like, why is this one healed, why is that not one healed? Why did you do it this way, why did you do it that way? They're asking questions rather than being bored out of their brains, told what they should do. And the best form of education is when an experience leads to education rather than we're going to educate you and fingers crossed you're going to go and experience it. And we're asking that question, what does it look like to take people on experience? Maybe you could ask that question, what experience have I got that I could take people with me on? Rather than going on an experience yourself, is there somebody else you could invite along the way? The second um, thought on this is going beyond 
trying to training, going beyond trying to training. I'm going to talk about that some other day a little bit more. Um, do you know if you share your dreams, they're less likely to, to happen? Did you know that? Now, I've told you this before. I come from a Pentecostal background. So in my background, it's all about sharing your dreams. You know, it's all about sharing your dreams. But actually, psychologically, you're less likely to see them happen. This has been proven on studies many, many, uh, since 1926. Almost 100 years, people have been proving this time and time again. And I'll just give you an example of one of the typical experiments. Uh, one, one year, the last one in 2009, they took, um, it was 163 people, and they split them into two, two halves. And they said to them, I want you to write down and think of your dream, the thing you want to do in life. And they all wrote down their dream, the thing they want you to do in life. And they said, okay, this half, what we're going to do now is you're going to stand up and tell the whole, whole room your dream. This, this half, you're not. You're going to keep it to yourself. And then they gave them 45 minutes to write down the things they needed to do to achieve their dream. This group, on average, finished after 33 minutes and said, done it. This group, like, I need more time. And what it was proving was this. It's something called social reality. When you share your dream a lot, you almost live as though it's actually happened, but you don't do the work you need to do to actually make it happen. Unless you have someone who comes alongside you and disciples you in it. Does that make sense? And sometimes we have to stop trying, just saying to people, hey, give it a go and go for your dream and you can make it happen. Actually sit down and try and train people in it. So I think about this for, you know, we've got two sons. I see all these young people and children of, of, of Christians and we take them to church and they just get these travel agents telling them what they should do and they need more tour guides in their life. They need more tour guides. People are going to say, come with me, I'll show you what it looks like. Let's go out and, and do this together. And that leads to the, to the final thing that we need to think about, which is to go beyond protecting to proving do you know that 83% of young people going to church will not go to church after the first year at college? Do you know that? 83% of young people in Christian families that go to church in America will probably not be going to church after the first year at college. I think I know why. Can't prove this. Here's my theory. Do you remember the story of David and Goliath? David, David stands up and David's about to fight Goliath this Probably nine foot tall guy. That whole that story is a whole lot more to that story than we think. But one of the issues is David, in our Sunday school minds, we think David's this little boy. And if you remember the story, um, Saul, the king, gives David the armor. And in our minds, he's a little boy. He gets all this big armor and he can't, and he can't, I, I can't make this work. And he throws it off. In reality, if you look at the Bible and, and Havarim, the passage, which is the way we do Bible study, you discover, actually, David was a big strapping lad. What he actually says is, I can't use this armor because I've not proven it yet. I don't know if it works. So what I'm going to do is get rid of it and go to the thing I do know that works, which is the sling and the stone. So he gets something, knows that he's killed the lion and he's killed the bear or wherever it is, and he uses this to kill Goliath. We're raising a generation of young people and we've protected them from their lions and their bears. And we send them to college and they get all these different philosophies and theories and temptations. 
and they don't know they, they, they don't know what to do. And they've not got their own faith that they own. They've just been instructed and educated by someone else. They've got none, they don't have their own stories. So David gets rid of the armor and he goes to something that's worked. But what we've done so often, I'm not accusing anybody, I'm just saying generally what we've done, we've, we've protected them so much, they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to cope. And they get to college, and we've protected them from naughty people who are bad influences on their life so much, to so, such an extent, that now they're meeting them, they don't know how to handle it, in my opinion. And, and, but if they'd had a tour guide, if, if somebody had taken out on mission, They'd have their own stories. We talked about this last week. God's power is always greater than the opportunity we give him. You take young people out and they pray for the sick and they see people healed like I did when I was younger. I had people who discipled me. I know God's real because I've seen him in action. There's no way somebody can disprove God to me because I've seen, I've, wa I've watched God heal people. I've seen things happen in my life. I've got stories. And so many of our young people don't have stories. They don't have stories. They have your stories, they have their pastor's stories, they have the youth pastor's stories, but they don't have their own stories. So we need to, we need to go beyond protecting and start helping people prove their faith. What's your discipleship number? First of all, what are the things that you've experienced that you could come alongside someone in? What are the things that, um, what are the things that you need someone to come alongside you and help you with? You know, we want you to come to have room and, and to study the Word of God, but we also know that you need not just the Word of God, you need the people of God as well. You can come to us and say, I, I really, I'd love it if somebody could train me how to worship. I'd love it if somebody could train me how to study the Word of God. I'd love it if somebody could train me how to, how to just share my faith. What you're not going to get from us is just a class. doesn't mean we won't have classes on these things, but, but what you're going to get is someone saying, well, I'm going to go and see somebody soon and talk to them. You come with me, I'll show you. What's your discipleship number? The other thought is, what can you offer the church? You know, what experiences do you have? You can say, well, I can't do that, Paul, but, but what I could do is this. I could train someone in this. Offer yourself. You have a discipleship number. I don't know what it is, but you have a discipleship number. And the joy of knowing the Lord is experienced when we go beyond education to experience. When you experience the things and the words of God. The truth. I'll finish with this story. Um, so I was discipled, and because I was discipled, we created what is essentially a discipleship organization. Thousands have been on it. I don't know what the ripple effect of those people will be. So one person led me to the Lord, discipled me. I've trained two to three thousand people now. Who knows what those two to three thousand people will do? Who, who's, who's got any idea? Jesus said, you're doing, he said to his disciples, you'll do even greater things than I did. So I'm, <laughs> I'm below average. Some of these guys were at least average. So they're going to do even greater things. But years ago, a friend of mine went into a school in England. And as they started to play the guitar, because they could do that in the assembly, a little boy, nine-year-old, screamed at the top of his voice. The teachers dived in, grabbed him, and took him away. The teacher came up to my friend and said, because he was about to sing a worship song, and said to him, um, I need to talk to you afterwards. So my friend's, oh my goodness, this is bad news, what's happened? So afterwards, he takes my friend into a room, the principal, and he says to, to my friend, listen, you may have seen, uses an English word, you may have seen the kerfuffle that happened 
in the school. And um, uh, the guy said, yeah, he said, I just need to explain. You didn't do anything wrong. He said, this was a Tuesday. He said, on the Friday, we just found out yesterday, Monday, that on Friday, that little nine-year-old boy was taken to a pub by his dad, stood on a table at an auction for the night to the man who'd pay the most money. He came on in on Monday completely traumatized, and he just freaked out when he started playing the music, and that's why we took him out. That's an awful story. And... Um, one of the things that, that kind of occurs to me is that if I am being discipled, then I wouldn't have discipled these other people and they wouldn't be reaching into schools and reaching young people like that. There won't be anybody there for those young people. So what are the ripple effects and what would the ripple effects are not happening if you're not using your discipleship number? Every one of us has a discipleship number. Every one of us brings something more to other people. It's all about how available we are. And we've been locked in a system now for too long that said it's just about education. If you don't know enough, you can't disciple. You can disciple. You can disciple. It's actually not about how good you are. It's about how willing you are to do it. So I want to encourage you this morning that we, we would love to find out how you can help us train and disciple other people. Uh, we believe that every one of us has gifts. It's on our website, on our statement of faith. Every one of us has gifts. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus this morning, you've just got to understand that he doesn't want to just rescue you. He wants to recruit you. And God has a purpose for you to impact the lives of other people. Let's pray. We're just going to just finish with a, with a prayer uh, this morning and then fellowship together. Um, but I just want to um, just lead us in a prayer of willingness to the Lord, to the Father. And if you're willing to just open up your life a little bit more or willing to be humble and ask someone to train you, then maybe you'll say this prayer in your heart with me. Lord, I thank you because you created me with a purpose. I thank you because you created me to love you and to love others. I make myself available to you with the gifts and the talents, the abilities that I have. I lay them at your feet. For those of us who, Lord, we, we, we know we're lacking in areas and we need to be trained, we humble ourselves and we ask you, Lord, to help us find people who will disciple us in those areas. So, Lord, either way, whether it's we come with humility or willingness, we come to you, good, good Father, this morning. Help us. Help us serve you for your kingdom's purpose. In your name we ask it, Lord. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, if you would like prayer, then uh, in a minute, a couple of guys will be stood at the back in that corner. Just go and see them or buy this, um, sorry, buy this where David is, and we'd love to pray with you. Please don't rush off. Please have some fellowship. Stick around. We've got coffee. We've got tea. We'd love to chat with you. If I've not spoken to you before, I'd love to meet with you. Bless you and 